0: Welcome to Kolesha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kolesha. This week I'm really excited to be joined by a fantastic guest. Her name is Gila Muskin Block, and she's joining me from LA, California. Gila. Is the director of Yesh Tikva, which is an organization that deals with a lot of different aspects of the struggles with infertility, Um, less so the medical side and more so the emotional support side. And I'm going to let Gila introduce herself and tell us a little bit about why she started this organization. Um, So, Gila, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what got you into this and why you decided to create Yesh Tikvah, and um, basically a little bit about what your organization does. For sure. Thank you so much for
1: um, inviting me to share here today. Uh, such an important topic, um, one that is very personally dear to my heart. I co-founded Yesh Tikvah, um, almost six years ago um, in the middle of my own personal journey. I hit a place in my personal journey of rock bottom. I was alone, with nowhere to turn, no f- real support network, um, friends who didn't really understand what I was going through on a personal level, um, and needing that, that camaraderie, that community, the understanding of what it means um, to feel so different than everyone else around you, um, to really be in a space where everyone seems to be moving on and you're stuck, trying to catch up and and not in the sense of it's a race, but in the sense of these were the dreams I had, this is where I should have been in my life if life followed the textbook I was told it would follow um, and not being there and not finding people who could understand and relate to that. And so from there stemmed the, the idea and the dream for Yeshifa and together with four amazing other women came the reality.
0: Wow. So, you know, I'm curious to hear um, more about what your organization does, because like, as I'm sure you know, and most people in our community know, there are a few organizations that deal with infertility that are very well known. Um, and what is it that Yesh does that's different or, you know, what's your niche sort of?
1: Um, So, yes, there are lots of other amazing organizations in the fertility space. And what makes us unique and different is that we really focus on the emotional need, both from a professional support angle as well as a peer-to-peer support. We offer the opportunity to join together as a community with others to see each other, to engage with each other, and to create both a community within the walls, so to say, the virtual walls um, of Yesh Tikva, but that also beautifully extends way beyond um, to friendships and relationships that are grown out of our support network.
0: So is all of your support done online? Like you mentioned, your virtual space, or is it you know, in person? Obviously not during COVID, but what, what exactly um, is the framework for these support groups?
1: So the majority of our support even before COVID was virtual because the concept behind it was that there are one in eights across the world and specifically across the U.S. who are struggling a lot in smaller communities where the feasibility of having in-person support is not as possible. And so this brings people from across the U.S. um, and at this point um, from Israel and Canada all together in a safe space where they can connect with others who are on a similar journey to them. Before COVID, we did have a lot more in-person opportunities, and we're hoping that after COVID, we will once again resume in-person support groups, but not in place of, rather in addition to our virtual support.
0: So I'm curious to hear, you know, with uh, with the support groups and all, and and the other services that you provide, um, what exactly is the goal? Um, is it just you know emotional support? Is it more than that? Is there you know, other resources that your organization provides? Is there professional help? What are sort of the goals of the organization and, you know, that are sort of not being met elsewhere? So the goal of the organization is twofold. It's to provide the emotional support
1: to the one in eight who are struggling, to them directly, to their family, friends who are seeing them. Um, there's a concept within support that you're supposed to reach in to support the person in the middle and dump out. Um, and so we both create the support to reach in, but also create the support network for those who need a space to dump out so that they're not taking their own um, struggle and bringing it back into their one in eight in their family or in their friend circle, um, but rather have somewhere else to deal with those struggles, um, as well as to educate the Jewish community at large about infertility. Um, Infertility is a topic that when we began was not really spoken about. It wasn't spoken about enough in social media, in in media in general, um, in, in the world at large, and definitely not enough in the Jewish community. So the second part of our mission is to raise awareness about infertility, to engage in conversation, to make sure that conversation around infertility isn't something that happens solely within the context of the fertility community, but rather it is becomes a part of our cultural norm. It becomes normal to speak about treatment. It becomes normal to to know about your anatomy, um, both in the sense of your fertility, but also to know when infertility occurs, where to turn, what your first point of contact is, that this feeling of I am a one in eight and therefore, I am alone and isolated and different needs to be replaced with, I'm a one in eight. And therefore, statistically speaking, that means there are one in eights out there. That every eighth person is another person like me that I can connect to. I'm not different. I am not stigmatized. I am not alone. I am part of a larger community of, of people who care, of resources available. Um, and and that is the second fold. And, and also part of that is that as the community supporting the one in need, it takes takes a village to support someone through a fertility journey, um, family, friends, and having the correct tools to provide that support. And and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all, but a base for understanding how to reach out, how to be there for someone in struggle, um, how to meet their needs, um, and how to show up when they need you the most instead of feeling burdened
0: by their journey. Interesting. So you mentioned... A lot of different points that I would love to get into um, in a little more detail. So the, um, the first thing you mentioned is friends and family education. Um, that's something I want to get into a little bit more. Um, and another one is the issue of the stigma in our community. Um, you know, you're, you're obviously starting with the premise that there is an issue, that it's something that's difficult to talk about, that people very often don't want to talk about or feel like they can't. Um, so why do you think that is? What do you think is the root cause of that problem? Like, why is it such a stigmatized issue? And why are people not feeling comfortable discussing this with relatives and friends? And do you think that's something that's specific to the firm community? Or is that a problem across the board with people who struggle with infertility? Um, okay, so deep,
1: deep question, um, a lot a lot going into it and i'm not sure that it's necessarily a a clear answer that uh, it's it's a really important question and one that really needs to be answered and i think to start at the base of it is that you're talking about sex you're talking about what happens for everyone else behind closed doors from college um you're taught that mikfanite is something you don't talk about It is something that is done in privacy, something that you try to avoid having a conversation with anyone else about. So from the beginning of your relationship in in the status of marriage and in the status of growing your family, um, it is shrouded in secrecy. This is a private space. um, And and also just from an intimate perspective, it is supposed to be something that is private, that is special, that is unique. Um, And the second you bring infertility into the equation, you've lost a huge sense of that privacy. Um, Your sexual life is no longer intimate. It is no longer private. It is something that you've now brought a doctor into. And it is something that you've been taught and educated that use birth control or else. um, No one speaks about in, in sex ed classes, and it doesn't matter if it is Jewish or not Jewish, sex ed classes do not talk about um, the reality of but one in eight will struggle. It talks about the seven out of eight, and it's spoken about as if it's a blanket statement of you will get pregnant if you don't protect yourself. And so from, from the beginning of, of our introduction as, as women and as men to sexuality and child making it is all about the protect yourself so that you don't. Um, And so the second you're out of the norm, because if I'm supposed to be able to breathe and get pregnant so easily, and I'm not, then something is definitely hugely the matter with me. And so therefore that creates stigma because I am different and what should have been isn't. And I think that that transcends
0: religion and, the from community. Um, I wonder though if in the from community, it's even a level deeper because of the issues with SNEAS and you know, like you mentioned, people keeping their private lives private. Um, you know, among other things, like just everything in our community is stigmatized. You know, like anything that's sort of out of the norm, people hesitate to really talk about, um, you know, or get into when it's personal to them.
1: Definitely. And and I and I think that to build on that part of talking about it more outside of the fertility community is is making it normal, is taking a conversation that should be had in conjunction with fertility is the component of infertility that it is normal. One in eight is a big number that it happens to so many people that normalizes the conversation before one ever gets to the point of being diagnosed as a one-in-eight. And therefore, if I can talk about it so openly when I, let's say, in high school and learning about sexuality and sex ed and um, reproductive science, then, then when it becomes something that's personal, whether it's to me directly or to a friend um, or family member, it's no longer this stigma or this abnormal thing. It's it just a reality. It happens to one in eight individuals.
0: So it sounds like a big part of your goal is to sort of destigmatize infertility yeah
1: definitely um, or or at least
0: the conversation around it. Got it. um, so it sounds like you know, from what you're describing, the stigma exists across all spectrums. Um, but what about infertility itself? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily you know the medical causes, but just the way people deal with it. Um, or the journeys that different couples have to go through, what struggles exist within the Firm community that don't exist elsewhere? Uh,
1: There's definitely, as you were saying, there's a big um, added pressure, firstly, culturally. Within the Firm community, there is definitely, um, within, within a religious community, I think that religion itself brings in an added pressure to have a family. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily Jewish religion related or religion in general. Um, There is the added pressure um, within the from community, within ritual space and within going to shul um, and being a part of people's smachot and, and life cycle events where they're being announced on a regular basis and you're being invited to them and rituals around supporting individuals facing infertility, like offering them or at a bris, bring on an added sense of, I should be more like you and yet here I am so different. Um, Rituals like Kol na where the entire community is running to bring their children, into a ritual space that is celebrating family. And here you are on the outskirts, whether it is primary infertility and you don't have any children to bring in or, or you do have a child or children to bring in and you're struggling to bring in more in this reminder within religion that, that I am different. I am not complete. Um, I can't participate in every level of the community. And there definitely is also within the ritual of mikvah. And this reminder, and, and I remember someone, we um, have a resource called the Mikvah Fertility Awareness Campaign in which we have signs that go up in Mikvah prep rooms um, that remind people who are struggling that they're not alone and that there is an organization there to support them. And I remember a Mikvah attendant once saying like, why would you wanna put them in the Mikvah? Aren't you reminding someone who might be forgetting? And just having that moment of like, you don't need to remind anyone. If you're going through this, especially around the ritual of mikvah, where you are both culminating a cycle that failed, and now starting off into a new cycle of hope, um, and depending on how long a person's on that journey, what hope they're still holding onto, how hard it might be to still be holding on to that hope, um, or if they're leaning more into that pain of loss, um, that that it really is this constant reminder of I'm here again, I shouldn't be. And so definitely it is difficult within ritual space, um, within Judaism and within religion um, at large that celebrates family as a unit.
0: So it almost sounds so counterintuitive that the issue is so stigmatized. I mean, obviously, it's no one person's fault. It's just sort of like the way it is. But it seems like so counterintuitive, because there is so much room for support and to bring more struggling couples into the fold, because there are so many events that are sort of difficult. I mean, I hate to use the word triggering, because it's just a a word that annoys me. Um, I think it's overused. That's what annoys me about it. Um, But there is, there are so many events that can be sort of triggering and difficult for people that are going through these struggles. And yet, It's overly stigmatized so that even in those situations, there's no one to turn to and say like, hey, this is really tough for me. Like, maybe I'm not going to come or, you know, just no, I'm coming, but it's really tough for me. You know, things like that um, are harder to resolve because it's so overly stigmatized. And it's like almost this weird oxymoron. It kind of reminds me almost like the issue of, of this shit off crisis and what a lot of our... Older single friends experience um, when they also probably have the similar struggles around rituals and smachot, like you said, you know, going to weddings where other people are getting married or going to family simchas where someone else is starting a family. And yet, you know, those events are so difficult and it's also sort of stigmatized, you know, getting married later in life and things like that, although it shouldn't be.
1: No, for sure. Um, so yeah, definitely, they are very similar And life, definitely does not always go as planned. Um, we have this preconceived notion that we are, whether we are taught it or programmed to believe it from the time that we are playing dolls. Um, But this concept of you will graduate high school, you will go either to Israel for a year um, or go straight to college. Um, Within college you will date, you will find the love of your life, get married, and have a family within a couple of years of that. Um, And both our experiences that fall outside of that structure of that preconceived notion of the box of what um, life should be like. Um, and, And with that comes those feelings of being left out of community, of left out of your friend groups. And, and both are, in a sense, you are a one in whatever that number is for infertility. It's a one in eight. I don't know if there is a statistic um, for um, an older single, um, but, but most of your peer group is moving on um, as you are feeling stuck sometimes, and held back from that reality that you dreamt of and hoped to be in. Uh, Not to say that you can't live life and enjoy life while in struggle, um, and not to say that there aren't so many things that one could accomplish um, and amazing things that one can achieve during that time, but on an emotional space, um, the feeling of not achieving
0: those dreams of how you pictured your life, and that's a huge loss. Yeah, and it's really interesting because You know, with several other guests that I've spoken with um, in various different episodes, regardless of the topic, this issue comes up so often where it's like I was not prepared for this because my mainstream yeshiva, day school, whatever Jewish education taught me that life was going to go this way. And it never prepared me for the idea that it might go a different way, whether it's an issue like infertility, whether it's an issue like getting married at an older age, or, you know, having a career that's outside the box like that, that might even be a possibility. Um, you know, there it came up so many different times. And it's almost like, I, I just want to like, go to all the schools and say, you have to start preparing our kids for the eventuality that things are not going to be perfect because I mean, we all hope for life to be like smooth sailing, but we know that that's not the case for anybody. Like everybody's going to have some issue that they have to deal with in life, whatever it is. Um, There are always bumps along the road and it just feels like so many people are getting the idea that when that does happen, not if, but when there's some sort of failure or they feel like there's no space for them in the community or, you know, whatever it might be, like, I could we all know, like, realistically, that there's going to be some struggle in life. But why is it that then people feel like they've failed, or they don't belong? Like, that should never happen, you know, and I feel like there's, yeah. there's a way to remedy that if we were able to prepare our young people a little better.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that that within that even taking it one step further, that even if it doesn't happen to you, that we need to prepare um, them for empathy. Because part of it also is how are you being perceived and received by your community? Um, are you being are you feeling like it's something that you will be received by others with open hands? Um, or is it something that needs to be um, kept from them because they don't know how to be empathetic, because there will be judgment? Um, and and how do we both on the on the level of preparing them to go through something in life, but also to be to be that person for someone else, to be that support network, that cheerleader, um, that person you could turn to. How do we make sure that everyone has that somebody and that we've prepared all of this next generation to be those somebodies to someone else? I just think in in so doing, we, we take this conversation that for so many years has been shrouded in so much shame and secrecy and be able to pick from it the part that that could be talked about publicly. No one needs to share details that they're not comfortable with. No one needs to talk about what happens in the privacy of their bedrooms or of their doctor's offices, but on an emotional level of support, of of being able to just say, I'm struggling, I need you, um, or I see you're struggling, I'm here for you, of being able to create um, that norm within society, that that we don't, there isn't a keeping up with the Joneses that I need to be better or as good or achieve or accomplish in a way that's better than the next or the same as the next, but rather that we're all in this together and we're all here for each other.
0: That's so true. And, and like you said, it applies to so many different areas of life. Like you, like, you know, you could put it really simply and just say, you know, we need to teach our young people or our next generation or even really our current generation. Um, you know, how to be empathetic when people are struggling things and with things and also to just sort of reduce stigma of issues all around. Like, a lot of things that people go through just shouldn't be stigmatized, because it's nobody's fault. Like, I mean, to think about just some of the things that you see are becoming more spoken about, which is fantastic. Um, And again, like you said, like, that doesn't mean everyone has to, like, air their dirty laundry all over the place, but just, you know, to let other people know that they are struggling and need support. When we think about things like, like mental illness or people struggling with Tadakim or, you know, infertility or, you know, just so many different things that people go through that they are hesitant. Oh, domestic violence and abuse was another thing. I spoke to someone about divorce was another thing. Um, I spoke to someone about, um, the other week and she was saying that she has clients who, Come to her, and they haven't told anyone that they've been in a miserable marriage for thirty years. Like literally, no one knows because they're so mortified. They feel like no one will understand them, and they're scared that then their kids won't get married. And you know, so like you said, uh, teaching people to be empathetic to these sort of stigmatized issues, and then you know, the golden question, and this is a perfect segue, is how do we do that? You know, that's something that your organization uh, offers um as a focus, which I think is fantastic. Um, but how do we go about educating family and friends? Because when people do struggle, regardless of what the issue is, it's so personal, you know, everyone has a different sort of feeling of what they want in terms of support. Maybe they don't want any support, you know, so like how do we go about broadly educating people um about how you know how to support people who are going through different challenges and especially your niche, which is infertility.
1: Um, for sure. And I, and I think that the most important thing is, um, and as simple as it's going to sound, I think that if we could all achieve this, um, we would create a much more empathetic society. Is that we need to stop and listen. We need to take the time to firstly hear the words we're saying, um, let them land on us before they land on somebody else. Um, we need to also take the time to hear what people are telling us. Um, Instead of trying, by nature, we're humans and we want to fix things. It's hard to sit in someone else's pain. It's hard to sit in our own pain. Um, But it's hard to sit with someone else in their pain. And our human nature and gut reaction is, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to bandage it. And so with infertility, bandaging it is saying, at least it's not. Um, Or at least you got pregnant or at least you already have a child. Um, and comments like that of, of trying to minimize, so to say, the pain, not in a way to try to hurt the other person, but because you wanna fix it and make it better for them without realizing that in so doing, you're actually making the pain worse. And I think that that stopping trying to fix it for others is our first point of, of creating a space that feels empathetic. Um, and supportive. We need to just emote Annofiana. I'm with you in this. Um, I'm here to listen. I'm here to hold your hand. Um, I'm here to offer a shoulder. Um, I'm really here to, I guess, in Corona times, sit on Zoom together and cry um, and go to coffee or, or whatever it is and just be with you. I will listen to you. I will not ask you questions. I will not We are curious by nature. We want to know everything. The person in struggle is not the person that you find out those details from when they want to share they'll share when they don't finding language that is less pressuring like instead of asking we actually just had this post today um, on instagram um, instead of reaching out to someone and saying like i know you had a doctor's appointment did you get your results back yet changing that kind of language to oh i know you had a doctor's appointment i just want you to know i remember I'm thinking of you and I'm here for you. And so if the person wants to share what the results are, you've opened that avenue because you've showed them that you're receptive and you care. Um, and if they don't, and that's not where they're holding and this obviously makes the assumption that you know that they are struggling in this particular scenario. Um, but if, if they don't want to share, you've also left them the room to say, thank you for thinking of me and move on. Um, but it gives them that feeling that you are, addressing that something is going on. And, and obviously, as you addressed, not everyone wants the same thing. And, and part of that is the vulnerability of being able to say, um, I see that you're struggling. I want to be here for you. What does that look like for you? Um, and, and it's being able to own that vulnerability that you don't necessarily have within your um, preconceived toolbox of support, the thing that they, that you can use right now to fix it. And, and you need to ask that person what you could do for them. And I think on the flip side, um, it's also for those who are in struggle who want the support, being able to come out and feel comfortable saying, I'm struggling right now. I don't want to share or I'm willing to share whatever that person's feeling comfortable doing. But this is what I need to be supported." And also knowing that there isn't going to be a pushback on someone. So when someone comes to you and says something like that, there isn't the flip of, and, and we've heard this so many times from our participants, is that then family or friends will turn and say, yeah, but I'm also struggling, or um, comments like, oh, that's not so bad. I know somebody who went through it for X years or who experienced X amount of losses. Um, you've only gone through it for this amount of time. And just being able to, Really be quiet and listen. A person is coming to share with you, receive it. I'm here for you. How can I be
0: there for you? I'm listening. That's it. I think that's just like you said, just the idea of empathy, right? Like, empathy doesn't mean fixing problems, and it doesn't mean like there's a difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Empathy is a deeper level where you try and sort of put, you know, feel the other person's pain um, and sort of give them, you know, the knowledge that you feel for them and what they're going through. Um, yeah, I think that sounds like a great place to start. And I think it's it what you're teaching is really a life skill that can apply to so many different situations. I mean, that's what I just keep coming back to, because there are a lot of people that struggle with so many different things. And like, I think this is so classic in like marriage counseling, when women always want to just vent and be heard and men are the problem solvers and it just like makes you more mad when your husband tries to fix your problem and you're like, no, don't try to fix it. You know, it's so classic, like all premarital courses always like teach the men, don't try to fix the problem. It's the same thing with everybody. It's the same thing with kids. It's, you know, people just would rather be heard than have you try to fix their problem, especially, you know, when someone is struggling with something that's so personal to them that no one else really knows how to fix their problems. So I think to try and offer is really kind of presumptuous for sure. So how do you go about, um, you know, trying to educate family and friends Do people reach out to you, or is it just sort of like putting information out there or, you know, what, what's your platform for that? So can I actually step back for a sec to add to the other question? I think that
1: um, something that's come up a lot recently and, and a, term that is not yet well-known and something I think that we um, could benefit from
0: learning um, is the concept of holding space. I don't know if this is something you've ever heard of. Um, I've heard the term. I don't really know what it means. So um, holding holding
1: space is this concept of really being there for someone in their pain while being able to essentially shut off your own experience. You are able to, to dig deep and just be a vessel of reception to their pain. And so, this concept of, I don't know what you're going through, I can't understand it, isn't something that's going to prevent me being
0: able to be with you in it. So, so interesting. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of like expounding upon that, that empathy. But I guess the question is, you know, is, that, is this a skill that's easily done or is that something that people have to practice? Um, to really be able to do that. Is it something that comes naturally to people or, you know, is that something that people really have to learn to do and make a conscious effort to do? Definitely something that we, we all need to make a conscious
1: effort to do. I think even those of us who live in it and breathe it all day, make a conscious effort um, to be empathetic and to learn to listen and to hear um, before trying to jump in with a fix. It's something that we just need to consciously, actively learn to actively be active listeners. Um, it's it, it is an avoda, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I think as as uh, humans, like our nature is to be problem fixers um, or problem solvers. But that's why so many people benefit from going to therapy. But imagine if everyone in your life was a really good listener right? I mean, I don't want to put the therapists out of business. I think they're wonderful. But imagine if everyone in your life was a really good listener, then perhaps that would be enough. You know, you wouldn't have to sort of seek out someone to listen to you if everyone could do this, you know, I mean, it's like a tall order, <laughs> But I think it's something definitely a goal to strive for to be a good empathetic listener and, you know, give people a space to sort of all heard definitely
1: I think though, that from the therapy perspective that there is more to the then guidance through the now what of you've listened you've heard me but you're also able to um, in a professional manner guide me through where where I can now take and channel that to find the necessary tools to cope and to heal through it that without a professional training Um, I think it it becomes a very sticky space to be able to to offer that without um, accidentally harming. I think that that we just because we can be we all can be empathetic listeners doesn't mean that we can professionally support
0: people through their struggles on that kind of a level. For sure, for sure. Yeah. There's of course, like I said, I don't want to put the therapist at business. There's definitely not not everyone is trained to do what they do, of course. But I mean maybe just maybe more people will feel heard, you know, and understood if if we can work on being better listeners, sort of that makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. And and it would create also it would end stigma if if we
1: knew that people would not judge us and be willing to listen and to hear and to just hold the space necessary for those emotions. And all of a sudden, they're not bad emotions or wrong emotions or bad experiences. They just become experiences. And we can talk about them all of a sudden. And that doesn't mean that we talk about them publicly and that everyone shares every detail and we screen them from the rooftops, but it also doesn't mean that we need to keep them secret. And and it creates a space within society um, to normalize
0: things that have once been stigmatized. Interesting. So, you know, I want to sort of uh, piggyback off of what you were just saying, because um, I noticed this something that I noticed in a few different kind of areas on social media, especially. right? Um, We have this platform where a lot of people do try and speak out to destigmatize issues, and very often it's very personal. Um, And I talked about this as well um, in the mental health setting, but I think it could be applied here also. So I'm curious to get your perspective. It's almost like there's this pressure now to share and like a pressure to be vulnerable about things that you're going through that maybe in the past a lot of people didn't feel comfortable about. Now, to me, like things are all about balance, right? Like, I think it's great to have issues destigmatized. It's great to have um, space for that, those kind of things to be shared if people want to. But it almost feels like there's this pressure, especially on social media, for people to share everything. And like you said, almost like shout it from the rooftops, because now we're destigmatizing everything. And I'm going to go talk about all sorts of personal stuff. Sometimes when I'm online, I feel like maybe people are sharing things that they're not really ready for. Do you know what I mean? How do we find that and encourage that balance? Um, I don't
1: know if I necessarily have an answer for that, but I think that, um, I don't think that in creating a space that it's safe to share means that all of a sudden everyone needs to share. And I think that within sharing, it's not an all or nothing. Um, Sharing could be something as simple as I need support. I don't want to share details. Um, And sharing could be creating um, a social media profile that is all about your struggle. Um, And I think that we need to be careful in general and how we speak about it and how we encourage sharing that it it isn't a one size fits all that we don't need to encourage everyone to share their entire story start to finish That that there is a difference between privacy and secrecy. Um, secrecy is a shame. It is something that it is the, the thing we don't talk about. Um, it's the elephant in the room as opposed to privacy is I have gone through that. I don't want to share details because that's between me and my spouse, um, or me and my doctor, or me and whomever that person is. But I'm willing to say that that this is something that I went through um, and please respect my space. And I
0: really like that you make that distinction, the secrecy and the privacy. I think it's really, really important for people to to realize that and sort of stick to that. Like and and you know I think the education that you're doing really helps people on the other side to understand and to sort of be able to accept that, like, I don't have to know everything, you know, and and be more willing to allow the person who's struggling to share what they want to share and not pressure them to share more. So I really like that you're doing that. I think that's really important as well.
1: And, And I think to piggyback on that also is that, sharing also doesn't mean that I need to share from the rooftops. It can also be that I chose one friend to let into my inner circle to be my support network. Um, I I think that also needs to be changed in how we speak about sharing um, for people who are willing to and um, want to be the advocates on behalf of others by sharing their story start to finish Um, kudos. And we need those people um, within the community to help end the stigma. But I don't think that it needs to be necessarily everyone's personal story that ends the stigma. I think it's conceptually we need to talk about it. Um, And that doesn't mean that that's a call to action for everyone who's ever gone through a struggle to now need to plaster it across social media and across their entire family networks and friend networks. It's, it's about being able to pioneer the cause in general, as opposed to the, the personal experience.
0: I, yeah, I think there's so much value to what you're saying. Um, You know, to take it down like a little bit of a different direction. um, And again, I think this conversation is so interesting because what the education that you're doing could be applied across the board to so many different topics. But um, very often, people in our community are concerned about shidduchim, right? And they don't want to share issues, whatever it may be, um, because they're worried about their kids getting married later down the line. And there is this destigmatization, if that's the word, um, that's happening right now. And, you know, you feel it in a lot of different areas. People are more willing to talk about so many different topics. Um, But what do you say to people that do have the that concern about children? because even with destigmatization, you know it's still not perfect. There's always going to be people who are like, Oh, well, great, we know you have this problem. you know we're going to stay away from your family, whether it's you know mental illness or health problems or you know whatever it is there's There's a reason that so many people keep their struggles private. I think that's a huge one,
1: yeah. Um, I think that to go back to something you said earlier is that the reality is everyone goes through something and to be able to stand on principle and be able to say, I won't date your daughter or son because X, Y, and Z um, is saying I'm perfect and you are not. And I think that that's also part of the education that we need to do is that no one's perfect. The reality is we all have our, our struggles, um, our challenges in life. And on the one hand, I want to say like, do you even want to go out with a person who is going to be so judgmental? Is that somebody who's going to be empathetic and supportive um, as a in-law, as a spouse? Um, and at the same time, obviously, yes, you want to make sure that your child gets married and it is a system um, and a larger systemic issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, and, and I don't know the answer to it and I don't know that it will be fixed overnight, but I think that the more we speak about it as back to that, as a general experience, um, and privacy respected, um, the more, um, I think we get into a space where we, we aren't met with those same, I won't let my child date you because X, Y, and Z. And, and also I think the more we're fed with, with, actual facts instead of these presumptions that because someone went through infertility, therefore their children are bound to go through it. Um, Knowing what percentage is actually genetic um, and what percentage is um, something that that will be passed on and what isn't. Um, And just because someone's parents went through infertility doesn't necessarily mean that they will. And just because their parents didn't go through infertility um, doesn't mean that they won't. Um, and so also something to keep in mind that one thing doesn't mean the other. And, and I think part of that is empowering ourselves with knowledge and with education to be able to, to come to the table with facts um, and, um, and, coming to the, and, and being able to speak about it. And, and again, I think that going back to that concept of secrecy versus privacy, you don't need to scream from the rooftops. It doesn't mean it's something you need to be ashamed of and keep secret. I, I think that, that being able to strike that difference will help in navigating that process, but also just systemically it is an issue. It's an issue that we should feel that things that aren't wrong with us or bad about us are things that we need to keep secret because there is another
0: person out there who will make it into something that is bad about us. Um, so, you know, what what you just mentioned about it being a systemic issue sort of brings our conversation full circle because there are there's so much opportunity for us to teach our young people like we were saying earlier that everyone's going to have some sort of struggle in life and that doesn't mean it has to be stigmatized and then we can use that as a springboard to teach them say like in high school or seminary especially that that applies to other people as well not only should we prepare our young people that they're life's trajectory might not go perfectly. And, you know, there's room to plan for other eventualities. than, like you said, just that typical path, which realistically probably no one goes through a quote unquote typical path. Like everyone has some bumps along the way. Um, but then we can also use that as an opportunity to teach them that that's going to be true for other people too. And therefore, when it comes to Shidduchim, you know, we have to be a little more open-minded and not stigmatize other people for having struggles because everyone will have something at some point. Definitely, that it, I, that's huge, and I think that
1: yes, as you're saying, that that the more we speak about these things that until now were elephants in the room, um, the more they become a natural part of society, and the less stigmatized they are as a
0: whole. It all starts at the core of how we educate. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, at this point, let me just ask you if there's anything else you want to share. I think that, you know, this conversation has been super enlightening and I hope, and I, I think a lot of people will really gain from it. Um, but before we wrap up, is there anything else, any points we didn't address that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, totally.
1: Um, this was awesome. And I always love the opportunity to speak about it. And I loved that I was able to bounce off um, the ideas off of you um, and that we really, delved into it together and got to the root of it. Um, I think that the reality is, is that it is so hard for those who are supporting someone struggling um, to feel like they're accomplishing and achieving what that other person needs. And I think that as a reminder to those who are offering the support that you will mess up, that is normal because you're dealing with someone who is in a very vulnerable pained place in their life, um, especially with infertility somewhere that they are hormonally um, very, very, very hormonal, um, especially when they're um, cycling. Um, So not only are you dealing with someone who is deeply in pain, but you're dealing with someone who is um, hyped up on hormones. So accentuating that emotional experience that that it's okay to get it wrong. And I think that um, knowing that and going into that, knowing that like, it's okay to make a mistake. No one's expecting you to be perfect. It's about trying, it's about showing up. Um, And it's about when you do mess up being able to own it and being able to say, you know what, I just realized I said something that may have come across um, insensitive. I'm sorry about that. I really am here for you, I really care. Um, and, And also to appreciate that like, Sometimes you'll say all the right things and it'll still feel wrong because even though I know you don't like the word triggering, um, the reality is is that when you are in so much pain, so many things that you never realize could cause pain, all of a sudden do and and they take on new meaning. So for example, like for myself, Um, My sister likes to remind me of this story. Um, She was talking about how she didn't like to sweep. And, like, I took it personally of, like, oh, here, you are pregnant, and I'm not, and you're complaining about sweeping. And, like, it really was just genuinely she doesn't like to sweep. But, like, your brain when you're going through infertility, um, and this was, like, so long ago, but, like, your brain when you're going through infertility quickly jumps to your experience and you see it through this lens and as the person supporting someone going through that just keeping that in mind um and knowing that it's not personal that they're not lashing out because you're you did wrong and, and you're not trying to be there for them but rather it's coming from a place of pain and being able to really just appreciate and understand that pain um and make room for that pain. Um, and and not get disheartened. I think that it this there's this concept of like I'm always walking on eggshells around someone in struggle, um, and don't let that deter you from being there for them. Just keep showing up because at the end of the day, what they remember is that you were there, um, and that will allow your friendship, your relationship, to sustain through this difficult space in their life and grow, um, and and together enhance beyond um, the struggle together. Um, so many relationships are lost over a struggle. Um, and I, and I think it, it stems from that notion. And I think that for those who are struggling to, to be able to also appreciate that people mean well, um, and it is hard sometimes when an insensitive or a well-meaning but incorrect comment was made, but to also be able to, even though, um, it is painful, and you will carry that pain to be able to realize that, that people are usually trying their best and don't mean harm in, in, in being there for you. Um, they genuinely just don't know, and, and part of it is, as those of us who are struggling, we have to educate um, the community around us, um, our inner circle, to know what we need. Um, because if we don't tell them what they need, they can't read our minds and they can't guess. Um, so I think that it, it has both those pieces. No, no.
0: Definitely. I like, I like how you broke it down to both sides, but uh, you know, I really also like the advice that you have about, you know, to keep re-showing up and also to admit or acknowledge when you may have said the wrong thing and, you know, not just run away because, um, like you said, it, it's tough whenever anyone's going through anything. And, and one of the, my favorite things about this conversation, which I think has been so awesome in so many ways, um, especially because I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, I love the fact that so many things that you're talking about can be extrapolated as so many different areas of life, people going through so many different things. And not to minimize that, the fact that our conversation is about infertility and that's what you specialize in, but um, it's such good advice for so many different things. Like people, you know, tend to mess up and we need to be able to be big girls when we do that and acknowledge it. You know, and and it's a great way to not destroy relationships, um, but especially when we're in a relationship with someone who's going through a tough time. So I think that's yeah, it's really awesome advice, and I think it's fantastic that you're doing that. And all, all the different aspects of what you're doing are really really valuable. Um, I would just make one more point again for people struggling with many different things. Uh, we as a community tend to be very family centric, and it's nice to not forget about those going through struggles, especially like you said, around the times of different rituals, holidays, whatever, and just, you know, be inclusive. I think that's really important. Yeah.
1: And to piggyback on that concept, um, we do have a special fertility prayer that we created um, to be used originally specifically around um, rituals that are very family-centered. Um, it specifically originated um, around the concept of kolhana arim, um, inspired by the Boca Raton synagogue um, and Rabbi Goldberg's um, tefillah that they do there. That um, the idea that We're not saying don't talk about family. We're not saying don't make ritual space about family. We're saying yes and. Make it about family, but also make space for those who are struggling. So before you're about to do such a family-centered ritual, take pause. Make room for those who are struggling. Remind them that they too are part of the community, that we are davening for them, that they should be able to participate in this. Um, and, And it's not about pointing out the nebah and looking for them in the crowd. And, and it's it's about as a community coming together and saying, we are all one, we are all together. Um, and, and we're with you in this and we care about you. Um, and I think that the same thing, um, and I know we mentioned this briefly earlier about qatar. Um, I think that that is such a touchy um, ritual for so many people. For so many people, it is so coveted and for so many people it is so painful um and i think that the best advice that one could give is know who you're asking don't find your local infertile couple i remember so many times saying like oh like my friend's cousin's sister just had a baby and therefore oh i'm the local nabah who doesn't have kids so they're reaching out to me like no one wants to feel like that if you're close to them you know that they like it Offer it to them because for a lot of people, it's a school that, that feels very special and feels like I'm being proactive and doing something. But if you don't know them, don't assume because not everyone feels that way about being foster um, and being able to honor them in other ways, such as taking pause before or after um, a brisk to be able to say it to feel on behalf of those who are struggling. So you're not singling them out, but you're creating within that same space a very similar um, opportunity to highlight. Um, the desire for, for your desire for them to be blessed with children without singling them out and painting them in the process.
0: That's a really beautiful thought. And I think it really speaks to who we are as Jews. And like we were saying, things are very often different in our community in terms of, you know, the way we do things and the stigma. But on the flip side, there are so many opportunities to do things better. And, um, I think what you're describing is is really beautiful. The the tefillos and different things that you've been encouraging um, really can can use our word, Judaism, our, our religion, as a springboard to do things in a better way, which is really really nice concept.
1: For sure. Thank you so much. This was amazing.
0: Thank I, you so much. I think you're amazing. Your willingness to share and and you know break barriers and you know destigmatize is so important. Um, and it's fantastic what you're doing. I think you know your education for the not only the couple struggling, but also family, friends, community is super, super valuable. Um, so as a community member, thank you. Um, and I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I know I said this so many times, but I think it's so awesome and can be used in so many different areas in life. So it's super valuable and I really appreciate your time.